Hello, welcome to Culture Fear. 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 Absolute Fear. Culture 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 Fear. That song does my head in, but let's put that to one side, shall we? Hello! How are you doing? I am Sean, the host of this podcast. I hope you're doing well. If you're here because you love Ellis, well, you're in for a treat. Um, This conversation was brilliant. It was so nice to um, sit down and just chew the fat with Ellis. It's obviously been a while as we talk about. He spent some time in Canada. Now he's back. And it was good for me, really, to like ask a few questions that I've never really like properly gone deep with with Ellis. Um, Ellis, you know, I saw Trust Fund a lot of times. Um, I've got a few of the records, great band, and I, I've always thought Ellis is a great songwriter. But really, I guess when we really like chatted and that, it was about football. When I moved to Sheffield, I started playing football with Ellis. So that's kind of what we talked about. So it was nice to ask a few of the questions um especially like you know uh someone who's writing about DIY culture what was it like signing a record contract things like that um like and then you know it was nice talking about stuff that I guess we've both thought about a lot and also stuff that we're just thinking on your feet just talking about the state of things and how they feel to you but yeah it was really great thank you for listening I hope you're going to enjoy it. I've got another podcast out this week as well. Got loads. But yeah, look after yourself. Look after the people you love. Enjoy this. Peace. Hello, Ellis. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, I don't normally start these off in this way, but I thought I'd just say, would you be able to introduce yourself um and like a little bit about who you are in the book that you've just like released and stuff yeah i can have a go um i suppose it's gradually changed over the last sort of five years i would previously have started with the music stuff and then sort of embarrassingly mentioned that i was also an an academic but i feel like in recent years i've basically not really been doing any music so i am uh as of today, I started a new job as associate lecturer at the University of York. Um, so I'm a, a researcher, I suppose. Uh, and the main thing I'm interested in researching is the relationship between uh, popular music cultures and alternative music cultures and uh, social media and new media and the internet and the, the ways in which the internet has changed for better or worse. Um, the kind of politics of making and sharing music uh, as well as that, I've yeah played in played in bands for yeah about fifteen years now, um, and most of that has been in a kind of some kind of DIY tradition. Uh, my own band, Trust Fund, was kind of mostly uh, done in a kind of DIY fashion as well. Um, so yeah, and then this book that I've yeah come out a couple of weeks ago is called DIY Music and the Politics of Social Media, and that started as a research project like coming out of being active in DIY scenes and kind of wondering about it and worrying about it like I think everyone really everyone does who's in a a kind of DIY scene always 
it's thinking about it in various ways and uh yeah that sort of gradually turned into uh a job i guess <laughs> cool cool um how long was this was this um was the p like the book how long did that take uh so i it was initially my phd project right so uh i i don't know i never really intended to keep studying but i don't know if i feel like a lot of people who end up doing more studying it's just like they finish their degree and maybe they liked it or at least they once they do some other jobs they realize maybe they like studying more than they thought they did uh so i did my ma which yeah i was lucky enough to get some funding for and yeah really enjoyed it and then and then proposed my PhD in 2013 initially. Um, yeah, and then didn't didn't get funding for it the first time and then did the next time. So yeah, it's been about seven or eight years of thinking and writing about this one topic pretty much. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the book is kind of a culmination of of, yeah, that much time really thinking about the one thing amazing i feel like um how do you well to me diy like as i've like got older and tried to actually like think about like i guess yeah diy to me feels like a very emotional thing as to like you know what it is if you know what it like yeah. you personally know what it is yeah. like how did you have you got to a point where like you're pretty sure as to what your definition in academia of what DIY is? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, no, not really. Uh, I guess I, I came in thinking I knew what it was. And then I guess one of the first things I realized was how sort of guitar centric my definition of DIY was. And that it's almost like a problematic term in itself because you get these sort of cultures of music making, I guess I'm speaking mostly about the UK, where we use the term DIY as if we're the only people doing it like that. Um, and it gives us a kind of special sense of who we are. But actually, there are kind of other music scenes doing similar things in different genres, if that makes sense. So like, to me, I think of some of the principles of DIY as being like, well, I mean, one of the main things I think of is like doing stuff not for profit, but there's nothing in the in the term DIY that actually includes that, you know? And so, I mean, that's part of the difficulty with the term is that there's no point in which you can say like, oh yeah, they're not really DIY anymore because that term's so flexible that it can kind of start meaning whatever you want it to mean. So no, I totally don't have a definition um, <laughs> except that like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of. I ended up getting a bit frustrated with the. The way in which it was getting used in scenes I was part of to mean basically like the people who are like us. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Because like yeah, there's like electronic music genres. There's like rap in the UK where. Those sort of not non not for profit principles are just as central, like issues of like identity and stuff are just as central, and yet we kind of claim a kind of sense of specialness on the basis of having this label you know yeah I th and i think that is interesting because when i think of 
like when I see DIY used and like going it and when it's like very much like crossed over to the mainstream, mm. the only times I can think of that is like JME and like Boy Better Know. Yeah. In like grime and obviously that's and like JME like you like that's the term he uses for like that like DIY and obviously and he talks about it in a way that like you know I feel like he refuse his his refusal is like definitely with a full stop um, that he will never like he is put like he will never like work for like a, a record label etc etc yeah. in a way that I feel like a lot of there's like a lot of I guess yeah like guitar uh, punk quote unquote like subcultural I guess things the things that like we're a part of mm. that use the term DIY that seems like not as a rejection of those like that big business and like or it's not a rejection of like I'm trying to see I'm so I'm trying to find the right words but I guess Jamie is like I'm not going to let anyone take what I've got and like earn profit over it but also dictate in any way my artistic like uh artistic vision yeah in a way that like uh, there's some people that yeah there's some people and bands where i'm that is definitely a compromise that people that use diy in like the punk scene would take it's just like there's no one offering those compromises for yeah like the financial gain or the platform so they're DIY until like until the, they can have someone do those things, which is interesting. And it, yeah, interesting that like it can be used as a way of like, uh, yeah, that like us versus them, like, you know, townies v like grungers or yeah. like and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the thing was like, I guess I was interested in whether because the the old yeah the old distinction i guess would have been kind of like major labels versus smaller indian diy labels or they would have been like accepting sponsorship would have been a kind of cut off point between being diy and not and obviously some of those boundaries are changing but i was also just interested in whether like in a kind of age of social media where like is basically asking like is diy basically a kind of self management is it basically a kind of entrepreneurialism and the thing that's changed is just that, like, we have these tools to help us do it ourselves, but are we actually creating just basically, like, a series of small businesses? You know what I mean? And, like, what, what evidence is there of the kind of ethics of DIY um, sort of persisting? And I think they are, like... The thing is, like, when you go to a show, like, the things that make DIY distinct are pretty obvious. Like, the fact that it's, like it's often pretty cheap to get in. It's often like pay what you can on like a sliding scale. The promoters aren't getting paid usually and the bands are getting paid, like especially if they've traveled. So those are all ways in which like the ethics of DIY like manifest in like very concrete, uh, clear and observable ways. Um, but it seemed to me like on social media, it was harder to tell apart the DIY bands from the non-DIY bands, if that makes sense. Like they all have the same anxiety of like, how much should I promote my new release? Like, how do I, you know, like, are there political things that DIY bands can say on social media and that non-DIY bands can't say? I don't actually think that's really true. I think there's, like, a value to, like, even massive pop stars having, like, slightly edgy politics and stuff, right? So 
I was kind of interested in like this the DIY scene that is pr- pretty observable offline like how does it manifest online and is there any like is it actually doing any good online right because again like the offline stuff you can kind of see the impact it has you can see when people play in a band for the first time that like maybe never thought they could and they have these experiences that are pretty transformative um and online it didn't really seem like there was any kind of equivalent of like oh wow we're in a band and now we get to post on twitter for the first time or whatever yeah do you think that and i don't want to like be the kind of interviewer that's like pushing (laughs) thoughts but these are like so I'd be great if there are things that you'd like that. Actually, that's not what I think. But mm. so when you're saying that, I'm thinking, is that because when you are physically seeing DIY culture played out, you're in a room where there is own, there is less people and it is in a place that has to survive by people being part of a community because it's not like because that's how it survives you know like a diy venue or the back of a pub or you know these places where it's a subculture so less people are interested but when it's online uh, is it because we're like we're quote unquote be we're the juggernauts of the internet are where diy bands and all musicians and all people go like we've left forums Mm. we've left other places and we all talk on the juggernauts yeah so we're doing it on the so diy isn't done on the terms of like a subculture it's like here's diy being put across on someone on a platform that isn't about diy it's about profit yeah i think that's that makes sense i mean obviously the one thing to to complicate it <laughs> uh, even more is like even in those offline spaces right they're never perfect and there's always feelings of like inclusion and exclusion in there and like lots of people who'll come to like a DIY venue and feel totally ostracized or that they that they aren't cool enough to be there or that they don't have like whatever like subcultural knowledge is required to like participate and thrive in those spaces um but yeah, that was the thing that was interesting me, me online was like, it all felt a little bit more individualistic. Um, not because anyone was like, it's not like online suddenly people become different people and they become more like egotistical and stuff, but just like the by design, social networks are made up of individuals, right? They're literally like networks of individual nodes in which there's always like an author of one thing rather than a sense of like shared collective creativity because i think that was always the thing with diy is like feeling like it's more than just the individuals in the room it's about something that's actually being built together and i think yeah you mentioned forums and message boards those seem like a good parallel to think through and maybe i'm just being nostalgic for like when i was 18 and like finding out about new bands and stuff but those forums like they did kind of feel like in a sense like a kind of more of a replication of like the offline scene in that like well one of the things people talk about on social media is like uh this idea of like context collapse which is like you're never quite sure what your audience is online like if you're posting on facebook okay, yeah. you might you might kind of just mean for it to be going to your friends but you never know if it's also going to your family or like you never know like whether stuff's going to really blow up and like suddenly you'll have this audience that you 
weren't anticipating. Whereas like those forums felt contained in a way that was quite a lot like offline spaces, right? They were kind of like you you kind of had like the people in the forum who were like really respected, who'd been there for ages and had like thousands of posts and stuff. And it did feel like, yeah, a kind of like rep- replica <laughs> of of the offline stuff. So yeah, I do think that's like that's a pretty substantial change. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the forums replicated the like physical scenes in that like yeah, people that have been around for longer have mm. maybe a little bit more social status, and like there's like gatekeepers in a in a similar way for better or worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when yeah. I like think of it like that, I'm like oh. Maybe they did suck. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but like, so going back to you yourself, so Trust Fund, mm. obviously a band for like years, and that was, that was like you, and then who you wanted to get involved with Trust Fund. Yeah, it say. sort of varied. Like sometimes it was quite stable, and there's a handful of people who were like really key to it. But yeah, like over time, it did shift around quite a lot. Yeah. Cool. And would so trust fund. So th- a, a reason why I think this is really interesting is so trust fund like had a record deal, right? Yeah, yeah. And was that like a contractual record deal? Yeah, I mean it was like a yeah. They were kind of like a management company that were kind of moving in to being a record label. So what we had was yeah, I guess like a pretty what is now a pretty standard recording contract, which is like a three sixty contract. So they for the time when we were on a record label they also take like uh income from like merch and stuff like that so yeah like and they are like uh i guess they're not technically like attached to a major but they sort of are via distribution companies which isn't something i knew about at the time but like yeah more or less like i don't want to say like a fake indie but they were an indie with that were very much like embedded in the music industries, if that makes sense. Yeah. And what were your thoughts um, when that like deal was like, on the horizon, when you signed that deal, like just before you did that kind of thing? Uh, I mean, in terms of like feelings before, I think like the thing when I look back on it now, which it, this was like, uh, late 2014 i guess because it was just before the first album came out um the first thing was like excitement that someone was expressing enthusiasm about the music which i guess is a quite a silly and naive thing to say but like the guy who worked the guy who i guess did like a and r for that label in terms of signing acts was someone who was in a band that like well los campesinos i don't think it's like a secret that like gareth from los campesinos is working for that label and so it was just like him uh, saying like, he asked to hear the record and then I sent it and then he got in touch like the next day being like, we'd love to put this out. And I think like, do you know what I mean? Like in that context, like my, I wasn't thinking like, oh, what does this mean for the politics yeah. of what I'm doing? Which, you know, obviously changes it massively really. But at the time it was just like, wow, that's amazing. And I think a big part of it is like looking back on my time in that band i think i was able to excuse loads of stuff that we did as a band on the basis that i hadn't really wanted it to happen even though when it happened i was pleased it had happened so like the label would be one thing like i didn't i didn't send the record to anyone they asked to hear it and then they asked to sign us do you know what i mean and that for me was like an excuse and then the same thing with like 
the first person who did like PR for us, like, you know, emailing to try and get coverage and stuff was again, someone who saw us play, reached out and was like, can I do this for free? And so I said, yes. And like, I would never have gone out and been like, okay, who should we get as our PR person? And, you know, in actual fact, there isn't much difference in terms of the process of what then happens. And in terms of like the slightly odd and discriminatory role that PR plays in, you know, the music distribution process. But yeah, all of that stuff I was able to just shrug off because I didn't actually make it happen. Yeah. And obviously that timeline is the same time when you're at university writing, like the starting to write what would become like the book. Mm -hmm. Like really like looking deep into DIY. Um, I guess the first part of that would be did you before that did you think about trust fund and whether like was DIY like a term that you thought that you really like identified when it comes to trust fund or even yourself yeah not so much that band as like me yeah because but I think it's like yeah because I guess by that time by the by the time we signed with the record label I was like 26 27 so that's already like quite a long time of like putting on shows and like I don't want I don't want to say like I put my shift in but you know what I mean like <laughs> I, I felt you like you <laughs> yeah which is obviously like not a reason to to ditch it but like, <laughs> um yeah I don't know like I definitely did identify as like part of that world uh and it did it yeah it really meant a lot to me and kind of still does although I'm less sort of active because of moving around and stuff but yeah like if someone did like yeah, it would have been like right at the top of things I cared about in terms of like believing that music is supposed to be a lot more accessible than we experience it as most of the time. And that like people tend to think of being famous as the most like the, the best thing you can possibly do in music. And I like, yeah, really strongly disagree with that. Uh, I don't agree that like, you know, this is like old fashioned almost, but like I don't agree that the things you hear on the radio are the are the best things that are being made do you know what I mean like I don't buy into that whole system and that seemed yeah that's still really important to me um but I guess it got to a point where like signing to a record label didn't necessarily feel like it contradicted any of those views um I think I'd have I'd have second thoughts about it now okay that's 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 really interesting um and I mean, I feel like that um, you still had that you still had like um, your like artistic vision to go back to that. I guess mm. was never compromised with with. You know, it doesn't look like from the outside. That no, that was no, never no. And I, d I think that's that's like not. I basically think that at the level like we're talking about, like any yeah. band that's come through that tradition, that isn't that isn't really happening like i did i did hear like odd stories of like record label people going to bands and like asking for like oh this song needs an extra chorus and stuff but i i actually don't really think that kind of meddling happens and i think that the reason sort of large indie labels sign bands is for like you know it is partly for what they offer artistically right they're not necessarily signing to meddle yeah but to me that isn't that isn't like the I don't know, like for me, the, the, the issue with labels was never like the meddling and in the artistic side. It was always about like 
the way in which they take stuff out of the context in which it was made and make it seem like these were sort of stars that come from nowhere rather than sort of acknowledging that musical production is something that happens collectively in scenes like by increments and what record labels do is say like okay well who's like what's one part of that that we can take and generate income from and they're not interested in you know the yeah this kind of collective nature of that production so that that's always the bit that i feel a bit bad about like to be honest like i wouldn't even be that fussed <laughs> if a record label was like oh you need to change the tune a bit like that that never really <laughs> seemed like the threat but i don't yeah. know yeah yeah, because that's that's one thing I, I I think about a lot. Where I'm like, when a, a a company does come to you, whether it's like someone that wants you to play for them, and you get like a free pair of their shoes for their night that they've put on under the banner of whatever yeah, yeah. pair like shoe brand, mm-hmm. or like I guess a record label or something. It's like you know, like your band, and you, especially if you're like within a subculture and like informed by that subculture, it's like it's not just your music that you've made it's like that's become from a a a long line of like influences so you know so like the music that you love from like you know that started in just say like if it's like a punk band it's like or like a hardcore band i guess is easy Mm. it's like that started in 1981 and in 2021 dr martins thinks it's really (laughs) cool to have that so they've just like spent the last 40 years and then they get the credibility of like a culture that has just gone and gone and then they get to just pick that up and be like cool like we've got that now or like and stuff, yeah I guess. yeah and i think that's where like uh one of the things i was interested in in trying to think about through the book and stuff is like how diy music is like it's different from popular music but at the same time like it's totally inspired by popular music, right? That it sort of mostly comes about from people looking at the impact that popular music's had, whether that's like rock in the sixties or even like folk scenes and stuff and saying like, we'd love to do that, but there are aspects of the politics that we'd like to change. So DIY looks like, you know, it like it has all the same kind of features as popular music in terms of it. Well, in our case, you know, like songs, which might have like verses and choruses, like people put out albums, and one of the consequences for me of like how close it is to popular music is that we kind of unknowingly like follow a copyright system, right? Whereas like the whole notion of like authorship and the idea that there are, there are sort of creative individuals who come up with this thing, which then belongs to them is this like romantic idea from what sort of 18th century. And it comes, it grows totally in parallel with the development of the copyright system, right? The, 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 the reason you need to be able to attribute something to a single author is so that it then has an owner, so that it can become a commodity and so it can be sold. And I think one of the things we don't really think about as DIY musicians is like the fact that we are totally operating in the shadow of that. And that as bands, we think that we write songs ourselves and then there are us to do as we want with. And that in, in, in includes, in some cases, like, you know, getting sponsored by Dr. Martins or whatever, because while it's our stuff, like, it's ours to do what we want with. And, like, yeah, like you say, there's a longer history to that. But I think the sort of challenge for, for DIY is, like, how do we start thinking more broadly about authorship just being a totally problematic starting point for the music that we're making? You know, and, like... 
that's really hard to to get our heads around i think because like one of the things i did like most of the way through writing this book is i went to see uh my mum's uh like my mum had joined a choir which i think is you know a thing that a lot of people's parents were doing at that time and so i went to see a choir and i was like hang on a minute this is like everybody participating the crowd can sing along as well like this is a lot more participatory than the diy scene that i've been obsessing over as like the most participatory kind of music <laughs> like and, it, and it's totally about authorship like the idea with diy is that you create something it's not just like oh you're singing it's this idea that you're like you get to become an individual creator you know what i mean so i, th I think that, yeah. that these like and that's great like it's empowering but these like slightly odd like legacies of popular music are totally intertwined with like our idea of what diy practices as well god yeah that's so that's so interesting yeah yeah definitely that's that is definitely something that you know i can that's something to chew over definitely that's a really interesting way of thinking about it because but, yeah at the i don't know it's hard to fight against because as soon as i sit down like with a guitar trying to write a song like it feels like my thing you know and it <laughs> and it feels like my expression of my innermost self so like these things are totally they're not things that we can just shrug off like overnight you know yeah yeah and um another thing that um the book um talks about a lot which i find really interesting as part of a bigger conversation of diy as a rejection of whatever society that is within i guess mm. and like a radical act but like how does that how like bands like wire write songs mm. and the actual songs and how like the song structure is a rejection of you know the the culture that it's within and the mm. songs that that culture kind of perpetuates you know p pop music like you said yeah. choruses verses bridges which was really interesting because I'd because for me because I'd always kind of thought of it as like isn't it amazing if you can write songs as good as any song yeah and it's like your song and that's like a song that is like with it from a culture that's you know and it's not a song that's been like produced and that it's been like marketed and like put out in at the right week so there's nothing else and mm. coming out that week etc etc so it's on like the radio. And that was a really big, a really good, good thing, like th thing to think about. And I really enjoyed that chapter, just like really, really biting into that idea. Yeah, I think it's funny as like, I guess I think of that as like a specifically post-punk thing. It's like the idea that actually we need to figure out a different way of doing songs. And like, I don't know, like in my music, that's not something I've ever been interested in because the music I grew up loving is like basically the Beatles. So, <laughs> like, were, I was never interested in DIY as a space to, like, do, like, radically new things with the two-minute song or whatever. Like, for me, it was much more, like, the economic side of things that could be different and the kind of political side of it from that, that side. Because, like, I don't know, lots of the, the post-punk stuff is coming from, like, a particular school of, like, critical theory which attacks, like standardization and things like that so the idea that well pop music sounds the same and then what happens is that it rots your brain 
and you become this like consumer sheep right <laughs> who who needs this like actually what you need is this special exciting music by wire which will switch your brain back on again and it's like that you know essentially that's kind of elitist and also kind of misunderstands the the relationship that people actually have with with culture with with popular music and stuff so i think it's really difficult to kind of think about like well what are the problems with popular music and are they like aesthetic problems or are they economic problems and yeah at the same time like i will defend pop music but if you listen to the radio for hours and hours lots of it does sound the same and lots of it does sound like not particularly imaginative so it's, di- it's it's difficult to like know how to make that aesthetic critique because at the same yeah like you say like part of the aim of diy is like actually our songs are just as good as your songs and so you are like competing on the same like metric or whatever so yeah i don't know yeah for me i've always been more like that side like we can write songs just as good as your professional songwriters yeah um and it's interesting again like just thinking of myself where I guess the music that got me into guitar music was like when I was in my early teens, yeah. which were indie bands, like I guess probably started off like the Strokes, uh, but like mm-hmm. Block Party. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the obvious like Future Heads and Franz Ferdinand just being like Gang of Four worshippers. Yeah. But it's like these bands that took <laughs> all of this like post, like for me when I listen to it and when I've read about it, it's like all of these bands, all these musicians that took all this post-punk which i guess was a rejection but then got like top 10 hits or like and became like really popular bands which i guess was an interesting place for a lot of people within our like circles as a jumping off point for getting into music yeah 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 i mean but it's funny like the original post-punk stuff like as much as it's kind of a rejection of like some of it is a rejection of conventional song structure a lot of what the gang of four were doing i guess was like showing that like it was fine for punk bands to take influences from things that weren't like that kind of rock and roll and blues based tradition so like they were saying like wait there's a world of like disco and funk here and like we can engage with that and it doesn't make us like pop sellouts or whatever so like as much as they were like doing kind of weird stuff at the same time they were trying to engage with like popular music in in some way um because, you know, like, Gang of Four is super engaging and, and danceable and stuff, isn't it? And I feel like that's what, like, Franz Ferdinand took on and were like, yeah, we can make yeah. this into an even more, like, popular music or whatever. Now people are more ready for it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess going back to, um, oh, yeah, <laughs> so much, um, yeah, it's it's... Yeah, I def- yeah, it's so it's so interesting, is it, with DIY? And I guess like some people's response would be to the idea of like, you know, you can do it on your own terms. You can make music mm. just like, just as good. It doesn't have to be exactly the same, like, but you can make music just as good. But I guess a lot of arguments against DIY or for people that are like parallel to DIY or use the hashtag DIY mm. until they get to a point where they see an avenue to be more like they see an avenue down a road that's like seems more like an easier way to find commercial success i guess which is you know the old-fashioned like record label people give you money etc etc or not give you money but like you know what i mean i guess the argument now would be like well you can't do it on your in 2020 
when there was, you know, over the last five years, maybe longer, it's like there is no longer an avenue for you to do all of it on your own terms and succeed in a similar way. We're all not in a similar way because obviously succeeding and success is totally like that doesn't mean anything and it means everything, doesn't it? So, but like if we're talking about people making a living where they're comfortable and they can build a future for themselves whilst also playing like being a musician and also thinking about mental health and there's a lot of other things to think about um in doing that it's like you can't do that anymore on your own terms which i guess is yeah is that like a surrender into saying like neoliberalism has done such a good job Hmm. that there is nowhere that you can there's nowhere to go now you have to be part of it if you want to do something like that yeah i mean compared to like what sort of era are you thinking about where like it was more possible well i guess like people always like oh well fugazi did this but then that's like a totally like you know well this is a band that have come from members of and it's like a that's a difficult thing to do yeah i guess yeah yeah i think there's it's funny like the the examples that people point to because i would ask this in like so a lot of my book is like drawing on interviews that i did with people in leeds in the in the diy scene there and like when you ask people who inspirations are like yeah people like that come up and, and people like bikini kill and stuff and it's just funny like the people we tend to think of as like the most successful people are these like total one-offs really like the people who through kind of sheer force of well through being in the right place at the right time but also just their determination to kind of make this thing work for them like became like almost like household names in terms of some of the the riot girl people and, and fugazi and stuff and it's like well that isn't really a that isn't really a thing that was ever possible to emulate for more than a handful of people so i don't know i mean in a sense the reliance on social media today is like comparable to well i mean diy has always relied on some kind of engagement with like i don't know even if you're recording it at home you're engaging with like consumer electronics industry which is mostly sewn up by a handful of firms right um you'd be looking at pressing plants which were often owned by labels and stuff so you've always had to sort of participate in you know that's like part of making culture right is that you have to engage with the system as you find it to some degree and you can kind of you can make choices along the way obviously um so yeah i i don't know i sort of feel like the yeah I, i don't think there's ever been like a golden age where it was possible to you know do have total autonomy and yet sort of somehow make a living yeah um and one thing that your well another thing that your book comes back to a lot Mm. uh, is that the scenes the like the writing the academic writing on other diy scenes that you look into and Mm. the scene that you yourself um focused on um were like either all or like most of them were like predominantly um, populated by like middle-class people which is interesting and like we and that was obviously something reading it like i would text you and was like this is really interesting to me um 
being in that, what do you think that that does for, so for someone like yourself, like when we were texting about you said it's interesting to me as someone that like grew up like a working class person when I think about it, but like how do you think, because obviously it's, there are, it's like predominantly middle class people, but that does not mean for a second that there is just middle class people. How do you think that that, ha- what effect has that had on you in the, the your like social scenes, I guess, from your like formative years onwards have been in a scene that's predominantly populated with middle class people? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it's something we talked about, isn't it, a bit. I mean, I think I said at the time, like, in a way, I feel like DIY music was the way in which I learned how to be middle class in more ways. Uh, you know, in that, like, I was sort of, like, leaving school and I, I didn't really know. I mean, like, okay, so maybe I'm maybe I'm being a bit unfair in terms of, like, what I'm calling middle class. Because what I really mean is, like, I, through DIY, I got, like, a cultural education that I was not likely to have anywhere else. And that includes things like learning about feminism, learning about queer politics, which is something I knew, well, I'm not not claiming to be an expert on it now, but it's something I knew absolutely nothing about before like discovering that there was this world of DIY music in which queer politics were like right at the center of it. Uh, and also in terms of like veganism as well, which I guess is like uh, arguably like less important or less central to, to, I don't know, but anyway it was a way in which I learned about all this stuff. So maybe I'm being a bit reductive in calling that like middle class, but it's certainly stuff that like, uh, in my, in my background and my experience, at least it's not stuff, stuff that you come out of school knowing about. It's not stuff that like you encounter in like your sort of cultural upbringing. And it did feel like, I don't know. There was just like a degree to which like you had to kind of learn this stuff and maybe it felt like other other people had i don't know i that that's maybe that's a, the kind of the wrong way to approach it thinking about the 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 politics of it that way but i did find that like well it came through in interviews that i was doing as well as like how how people could find that all a bit um i don't know a bit a bit um exclusive in some ways uh but yeah i'm i make yeah I, i'm sort of making a connection that i don't want to make as if it's like those particular politics that are the exclusive part of it because what i yeah like you say i did some research on like what people have written about other uh, other diy scenes in around the world and those aren't scenes which necessarily have like connections to feminism or queer politics or whatever and they still found that almost everybody participating is middle class and like I mean, to be honest, my main response to that is just to be a bit depressed. I don't know if I have any, like, great analytical answers for it because I wasn't expecting to find that. But it was something that, as I was looking at, like, music made in, like, Bangladesh, music made in Iran, music made, like, across the US and in South America, almost every article on this stuff will just have a line somewhere and it will say all of these participants are middle class. And the obvious... Or like the one of the go-to answers is like, well, obviously the people who have the time and energy to be able to do that and to sort of participate in music and not make any money tend to be middle class. And I guess I guess that's 
kind of true. Uh, and yet it doesn't account for, I don't know, it just seems a bit reductive and it seems a bit like you're saying like working class people only do stuff if there's money in it or like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what I think about it, but, <laughs> but yeah, we, I mean, you said you had kind of like some similar experiences at least like in terms of, I don't know, did you, when you first came into the scene, did you like experience it as like a, a culture shock or like a, anything like in terms of like class politics in that way? It took me a long, long time to start thinking about punk within class politics. And yeah. I think that was probably more so... Um, I just, I guess maybe in your, tw- maybe in my like mid-twenties, I started to realise that maybe my experiences were different from like other people, but also mm. very sim- And then realising that some people very, like some of like my best friends had like... So had a very like it was like oh these people closest to me have had very similar um life experiences and like class upbringing i guess yeah um whilst people that are close to me but like not within that very close Mm. they're all like from very different backgrounds and i think part of why that took so long for me to think about whilst I was taking on so many new ideas was because almost all of the punk scenes I've been a part of, they talk about a lot of things and they, you know, and obviously the better parts of it, especially when you get your teeth into it, it's all like class theory, but it's not actually using the terms of class within it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all there, but, I just think that mate I guess it's because the scenes are like somewhat uh, these might be the wrong words but like dictated by middle class people that they're not wanting to uh, talk about class because it's not something whether they don't feel like they should because they're not the again I might have the wrong words but like the oppressed class so they don't have the authority to talk about it but because but then it just never gets talking about talk about because I guess if you're in a scene where most people are middle class, then if you start a band with four other people, mm. then like and one of them is the person writing the lyrics and talking between the songs, then the chances are that person hasn't had the experience of being working class. And of course, incoming with that is that like you then also don't have you know, I guess middle-class people are probably more likely, as well as obviously there's other people like men and like, etc., to have been exposed to learning instruments and been able to have a guitar that like your older brother got bought one year and never used, where like, if you're not going to use a guitar, we're not going to buy you a guitar because we can't really afford a guitar. Yeah, yeah. In the house. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's so complex because like, I mean, well, I mean, I should say, like, I, as much as that's my upbringing, I probably can't really call myself a working class person now because I'm, because of the job I do and because and, and I guess I've sort of moved through life in, in a particular way. Um, so it is odd and, like, I wouldn't ever feel comfortable, like, whatever music I made today and in my sort of, yeah, adult life, I would never call, like, I could never be comfortable saying, like, oh, this is, like, working class music or whatever because, like what does that 
what does that even mean? Like, how how does one go about thinking like we're going to make working class music as opposed to middle class music? Right? It's just it would get reductive pretty quickly, and it would get like borderline insulting, right? To be like these are the things that this is the sounds that working class people make, and this is a, a sound that middle class people make. But I do think there is there's where it really plays out is in like accessibility of the scene i suppose and in terms of like and and this isn't just about class i suppose it's just about like how does diy make itself uh accommodating to people who aren't like uh yeah accommodating to people who maybe don't know that they need diy if that makes sense um and that isn't just about class obviously it's about um all sorts of things um but i do and there's that thing of like people I interviewed in Leeds would like say like, yeah, we, we kind of know that DIY might be intimidating to people, including working class people. And yet like part of what DIY exists for is to give people like, I don't know, like people who were queer, for example, would say like, it isn't our job to be like educating people. And to spend the whole time in DIY being like uncomfortable and forgiving people their mistakes and sort of like, do you know what I mean? Just be to make this DIY scene just like this perpetually open space where people can come and like learn. And I just feel like there's a balance there between like DIY as a source of education, which it definitely was for me. Like I think I credit so much of what I understand about politics in all sorts of ways to like being around people in DIY scenes and the idea that actually it's supposed to function as an actual space for people does that make sense like that again that seems to seem a bit reductive but like there's that tension of like it's it's a place for learning and developing yourself but it's also there for like people who need a space to just simply like exist in the space yeah yeah and i <laughs> And of course, and like spaces that are uh, like, again, to like qualify it, but punk being a space with most that are mostly middle class people Mm. and so it's like, you know, middle class people like a civilized space yeah, and you know, I'm. I credit finding music at the point in my life when I was like a very angry young person. Mm. And of course, anger is not exclusive to working class people. Yeah, of course it's not. Yeah. But like, and 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 I think that middle class and like, you know, so many of my friends from all backgrounds, it was a perfect place as a teenager to get out all of those frustrations and anger. And that is why right. it's like a t. Te- that's why I f- punk has always been like a young person led movement and Mm. I guess getting away from DIY, but like that civilizing mission of like the middle classes, which, you know, maybe this is a totally broader and I could be, and I like, I'll definitely be wrong to a lot of people. Like, but obviously I do know that the middle classes have tried to civilize for a better word, I guess maybe the um, working class people like since the industrial revolution, I guess. But like, if yeah, if if there's not space to learn, so people that use things like violence or as 
a certain language mm. or um you know yeah i guess it's like maybe it's not a space for certain people to learn those big things and i also think that like you know like that we're all able to like imp to yeah just if it's a space where young middle class people can come they know how to you know middle class people and what the punk scene has probably taught me and yourself mm. is like how to go into a space and like not dictate it in an not not dictate it being one not going in and being like and making other people feel un uncomfortable i guess but yeah maybe i'm just rambling at this point uh, well, I think the cultivation thing is a, is a key point because, like, you're right that 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 history is is like a really long one, but has never just been about class. It's also about uh, race, especially and, and and gender. And so it's, I guess, it's this way that like music has always been used to sort of define who's in and who's out. And I've been, yeah, reading a lot recently about like 19th century music industries and like how early like music industries firms saw their job as like yeah literally like cultivating that's like the word they use is to like educate people about good music so they were like well in selling this sheet music of like uh bach and hayden and things like that we are like showing the people like they literally talk about it as the mass right we're like we're showing the mass good music and uh, you know it happens to be at the same time they're building a kind of marketplace for this music as well and like kind of building the music industries as, as we know them today but that yeah music has always been used as like a tool for uh one sort of educated group to make a claim for what what counts as like appropriate what counts as good you know in a sort of critical sense and what counts as like yeah the best thing for society so that's one of the things that i think yeah even in diy we always need to be careful about like what are we saying what kind of judgments of taste are we making and passing off as if they were judgments of like politics or something for example like uh, you know and i i think there's no like yeah uh, probably also rambling now but i think you're right to like be wary of the way in which music can be used to create and sort of sh yeah like how like taste can be used to cultivate in that way for sure yeah, and I think maybe when I'm sat when I'm sat here right now thinking, God, have I like said the right thing there when I've like spoken? Mm. I guess like punk the punk scene isn't the most open place to do your learning whilst talking, which right. I think is you know, and obviously, th which is a good thing, and like I uh, you know, and not a good thing, but like it's definitely like you know you don't want to do uh, your learning like overly p publicly. And it's good to like know when to keep your mouth shut and speak to your friends privately to learn things, of course, and like do that. You, but maybe for middle class people that think about class a lot, it's like, well, I don't want to be the one talking about this mm. because there isn't already a history of how to say these things where like you go to punk shows, especially like when you start going to punk shows and you're into the bigger bands that are like more of a gateway, mm. you learn very quickly because those bands, well, from my experience anyway, those bands are the ones that are making the broader political statements. Mm -hmm. um, 
um, and they're the ones that are probably more attractive when you're first getting into stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you learn very quickly the things that you can say on a stage or when you have uh, the space to say things and you know what people are going to nod their heads to or like clap back to. But yeah. because it's been because certain parts of the punk scene have really like not had a good conversation about class for so long, mm. we don't really know what to talk about. So the mi- so the middle class people that are well intentioned are like, I'm not going near that because if I say the wrong thing, it's like I'm gonna have the fear in me that I've said the wrong thing, or people are gonna have no patience with that person, and like it might come back on that person. And then I guess for the for the for the if there's like a person that's come from like that class thing, the mm. like a, a lower class, it's like I don't really know what to say because there's less people, and you know, of course, there is a massive history of working class people talking about working class politics. Yeah, um, and I also think that like um, the the punk scene is like brilliant. When it comes to talking about identity politics, it's really fucking good, and it's like opened my eyes up. Like every day, I'm thankful for like being able to hear different voices and having the choice to know places to find even more voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then, but like, um, class is like a bit muddier than it, than like identity politics. I think. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I do think that, like, one of the things you learn, well, you'll know about this, like, doing interviews and stuff, is, like, how much it turns out, like, almost everyone in in DIY scenes has thought about so much more than we might assume. Do you know what I mean? Like, almost every time I ended up speaking to someone about doing this book, whether that was, like, an interview for the book or whether it was just, like, chatting or whatever, I guess, yeah, to me, like, one of the main strengths of being in this, these kinds of scenes is that people are, like, encouraged to think about their own practice and to be reflexive. So, I I don't know, like, I'm reluctant to say that, like, it's something people aren't thinking about. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess you never know until you ask. But, um, like, I, I do think I've had enough conversations with people about class that it's there, and I'm sure it's, like, it is affecting how the scene is structured in ways that maybe aren't super visible, but like I do know, you know, like, because well, like in theory, the pay what you want thing, yeah, is a class yeah. thing, right? It totally is, but yeah, it's like, is it on its own sufficient to alter like the the dynamic, right? Or like, I don't know. I'm thinking about like my parents who are, you know, I don't know whether I can call myself working class, but they are working class. And like if they came to a show and it was like sliding scale and it was like between three to five pounds, like would they pay three pounds or would they feel like they didn't really know what the etiquette was and they'd pay the five? Do you know what I mean? Like even that has its own kind of weird set of rules that you kind of need to understand before you get to even benefit from them in a way. I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, but I think it's all, yeah, that's it. It's all conversations. And like, if, it's being thought about a lot but it's not you know it's i guess it's all waves isn't it and like maybe that wave's just building and then it might take some a few different people that are very like charismatic or good at talking yeah to have those conversations and then that uh, then that ripples out and then 
so many more conversations you know that's what I, when i look at like certain things where you just think these people this you know and like obviously you know because di going back to diy i hate the idea that diy is just for the people in the bands because yeah. it's not yeah but like it would be dishonest to say that like diy culture or the culture of that diy diy like punk scenes mm. isn't pushed on by the bands that have the bigger platforms especially the ones that come in and bulldoze like and like take a real like stance yeah and i think i don't know reluctant to like kind of create a hierarchy of like these are the different needs that all need to be addressed by diy but like it's probably worth saying like i don't know one of the things i i learned writing about this stuff is like the expansion of diy to like include uh like feminist politics and queer politics and and things like that like it, it wasn't something that diy was just like okay great here we go then we're, we're now more inclusive than we used to be like they were real struggles and like do you know what i mean like the amount of abuse that like the riot girl bands faced yeah like every show as they were like touring through the us and the uk and there's some good accounts of like yeah their experiences in the uk just being like heckled and like harassed by men in the audience and stuff and it like i think we have this idea now that diy just like just decided to to give space to those politics and like no it wasn't it was people you know being committed and like gradually doing the hard work of like changing people's perspectives or making it so that those so that those misogynist perspectives just weren't welcome in that space anymore and like that wasn't just like yeah that wasn't like inherent in diy's design that was like a lot of hard work and probably like time yeah times when it seemed impossible but like they started and they i don't know they did it so well i'm not saying it's free of misogyny now because obviously it isn't but that now we have a perception that diy is like maybe particularly good for feminist politics and like to the extent that that's true it was the conscious effort of people rather than anything inherent in like how diy is structured or whatever yeah yeah and it's good and like it will continue to touch wood it will continue to get better because then those yeah yeah um i guess um just um something that i wanted to touch on i guess because again it's when we were talk when you were in your book where it talks about being a rejection and when we talked about earlier where how maybe like a lot of the response would be that you just it's very difficult to be like <laughs> diy purist i guess but like mm. how um one thing that i that really like i really like wish that there was was like mm. a platform where music can be shared online that isn't yeah. dictated again by like silicon valley and again this is a conversation that you know you that like y y yourself and i have had but like you know whether it's like spotify which i think that at this point, most subculture musicians are aware of its faults and yeah. especially how it really gatekeeps who can make a living off of music. Yeah. But even like one I've seen over the last year since the pandemic is like 
some musicians that see themselves as very alternative and some that see themselves as DIY and like identify as DIY really 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 falling over themselves to thank Bandcamp for giving them one day where they don't have to give them 10% of like the money that people pay them for their own art yeah which I just for me I just can't comprehend the the anyway doesn't matter that's me putting my emotions (laughs) in so um has do you think that independent diy music has do you think that there will ever there can ever be or is it just miss the boat at this point the internet is so formed that or can there be a way do you think that there can be music sharing again at some point that's not dictated through the silicon valley startups yeah i mean the that's the issue i guess i was facing is that like so say your one option is like you you buy into this model of like music ownership that like music is a commodity and once you write a song that's essentially like a saleable object once it's recorded the alternative to that i guess reached a kind of peak in maybe like the mid to late 2000s where it seemed like what the internet was maybe going to encourage was something like a more participatory culture if you like where like people were talking about like creative commons rights and stuff and like the idea that when you make a song you put it online for free and like if someone wants it they download it but also if they want to like rework an element of that song or remix it or whatever they do that and so all culture becomes free culture and we don't need to worry about who owns what because you know this is like a space in which we're all we've all agreed to share everything which is sorry my dog's (laughs) losing it excited about that prospect but uh so that was one idea right and that that had a kind of a tradition that goes back to the idea of the commons right the idea of the you know shared land uh which nobody actually owns it but everyone kind of benefits from it and i think what's i think what happened is that people realized that hang on a minute if you do that the real beneficiaries are the owners of the platforms. So as things like YouTube sort of came into that space, they're like, well, what we're doing is don't worry. We're just archiving all this free culture and you just upload all your stuff. You remix it. We don't really care who owns what, because actually that isn't our business. (laughs) We don't care who owns it. We just care about putting ads next to all of it. And so, you know, that was, that was the, the sort of optimism of the internet around that time. It's like, actually we can do this without money. We can all just share it on there. But then it turned out that that was, if anything, a worse deal for musicians because it was all just going up there for free and someone was just making loads of revenue from it anyway. So I think that's what kind of led to the skepticism where like Spotify is much more like the old model of like copyright is strong and you get your royalties as you used to in the old days. You get your performance royalties and your mechanical royalties. But to me, the to me the most promising thing would be something more like that free culture model of like we can try and do this with with like less of a sense of ownership involved and less kind of commodification but the issue now obviously is like youtube has sort of conquered that space if you like but also like if you wanted to build a platform now that was just able to host everything and was just like we we'll just host it we won't charge you i don't know say you managed to raise money through like crowdfunding that like that was funded if you want that kind of web space you're gonna have to pay amazon for it like 
right from step one, you know, the internet is like, yeah, well, to use the analogy of like the commons and, and the land, what happened was that private property divided up that land. And I guess we're at that stage of the internet where like, even if you wanted to do this massive, like non-commercial venture, the very, the very start, the very first process of getting that thing online would be that you'd have to approach Amazon Web Services <laughs> or like some similar yeah. gigantic platform to say, can we can we have a, a domain name and some web storage? Right. So like, yeah, to me, it is too late to think about that sort of lost opportunity, if you like, for like genuinely non-commercial spaces online. Um, but that, you know, that isn't to say that there is no hope in doing anything. Right. Because I think as much as I think Bandcamp is like fine and not like a miracle. Uh, and like you know is a, is a silicon valley firm started by millionaires who made their money on like on software um it does point to the fact that like not every platform has to be the same yeah um i guess i don't want to keep you all night <laughs> so what i will say um uh trust fund was like i, r- I loved the idea like when you'd have records with like a full band and then it would just seem like there and then there was just a record like just yourself yeah um but in the last few years like why has there been less of your music <laughs> uh <laughs> i mean like the the uh in a sense i just like didn't really have any more songs to write i think that's like something i kind of believe in is that there's some people seem to be able to write songs their whole life at a kind of consistent quality and, and other people uh sort of tail off and some of those people still put out albums anyway but i got the sense that maybe i was i'd written the best songs i was likely to write um so i've been doing music but mostly like with friends in a quite yeah like not particularly not particularly shouting about it or whatever um and i think yeah like for me music became quite tied up with like my own self image and like the idea that i'm I was important because people liked my music or something, you know, important in a very small scale, but like that was my self-worth was like totally wrapped up in like the fact that people, the fact that every now and then I'd mention the band name and people would be like, Oh yeah, we've heard of them. <laughs> and I think it was like important for me to try and develop a sense of self outside of that, if that makes sense. So yeah, like just haven't felt, any strong desire to uh to make music really but um i don't know i feel it feels like it's coming back a little bit now that hopefully we're a bit more settled in where we're living and stuff and like can actually participate in the sheffield scene in like a yeah like a more healthy and sort of cooperative way and stuff so yeah kind of looking forward to getting well once once live music's back as an option to like <laughs> yeah. yeah being a bit more involved and stuff yeah um, do you feel comfortable in the fact that um, sometimes when you're brought up in conversation, friends of mine will say, God, have you ever seen him play football? He's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in what world would I be uncomfortable with that? <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, well, surely, like, well, you might be the same as me. Is that like, until I was like 16, the, like the ideal was to be a footballer, right? Like, even though I never showed any real promise of that 
coming to fruition. So like the idea that I could use my music reputation as a means to be well known as a footballer is like <laughs> yeah. the, the absolute dream. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. I like, think um, yeah. that's the perfect place to uh, to stop. Thank you for thank you for this. Um, I guess it. Um, where can people find your book and read it? Uh, it's online. I think through sort of indie booksellers as well as the the juggernauts uh so yeah it's diy music and the politics of social media but also like yeah if academic books can be a little bit pricier than normal books so if anyone's like wants to read it but isn't able to yeah afford i think it's like 20 quid at the moment so if that yeah if that seems difficult then just find my email i guess and and we can chat and i can yeah i can try and sort something out cool brilliant thank you thank you ellis cool cheers sean that was yeah good fun like i said thank you ellis also thank you for listening there'll be plenty more culture fears coming up check out ellis's book this is a song by his band podcasts enjoy I've